Happy New Year, viewfinders! This week, we want to look ahead to 2023 and try to identify some of the topics and trends we'll be talking about this week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And perhaps there's no topic tougher than predicting the future. And this week, we want to talk about some of the things that we see as emerging in 2023 and things you need to be paying attention to. But before we start paying attention to the future, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, another year comes to a close. 2022 was quite a ride. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we say that every year. Like it's been six years and I think that we are always like, wow, that was a crazy year. But yep, I think there was a lot of good and a lot of bad this year and uh, things they are changing. That's I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah, and and speaking of the biggest change, of course, was 2022 saw much of the resumption of quote-unquote normalcy post-pandemic. And, you know, Becky, we're still dealing with that and people are still in hospitals. And as we record this, I mean, there's a triple-demic going on. And so it's quite, you know, scary out there. But, you know, the reality is, For most of us in clinics, we got away from curbside and went back to exam rooms. And, you know, we kind of are sort of finding our new way, right? Yeah, but I I think, though, for some people, the new way is like still curbside. I hear that a lot of folks are still, you know, a lot of my reps are saying I still can't get into clinics and and they won't let us in and um, they're keeping things short. So I, I, yeah. I think it's it. what we're finding is the quote unquote new normal. So if things are like, oh, they're still doing that, I think it's like, oh, they're now doing that. And so I have noticed there are changes that are residual and we've talked about this, what would, what would come and what changes would be. And I think we are now in a place where this is how it's going to be. And it's interesting because you and I talked a couple, like, I don't know, weeks or a month or two ago about holidays are coming people are sick. And I would, you know, now this tridemic is like a thing in a lot of different states and people are getting sick again. So, um, I think that a lot of people are, are now functioning with a different mindset long-term and that's the way it's going to be. And I think it's kind of interesting. Yeah. And I agree. It, it is a new mindset for sure. And yeah, Becky, it's interesting because we, we typically do this viewfinders, you guys that have been listening for a long time, you know, Around this time of year, we kind of prognosticate the future. And and Becky, I was looking back at our notes, and really, as early as 2018, we were talking about workforce shortages, and it was just beginning to creep in. And and I think that you know the biggest trend I think that we're all going to be talking about next year, Becky, without a doubt, is the shortage of staff. I mean, whether it's a veterinarian, a veterinary technician, heck, even competition for CSRs has ramped up. I mean, do you continue to see this shortage despite whatever economics happens? You know, inflation. And, and potential recession. I mean, I still see that as the biggest discussion. Oh yeah, yeah. The shortage—it's it, the shortage has shifted because I feel like when we were talking about it in 2018, it was like, well, there's not enough credentialed technicians, but there was not a staff shortage, um, and there was a shortage of veterinarians, and we felt like we weren't filling the need for the veterinary roles, and that was the main focus. And what we see now is crisis level for a lot of places across the board. Yeah, really, it really is crisis. And guys, we we feel your pain. I mean, you know, obviously, 
we we're fielding these uh, requests all the time. Hey, do you know a vet that was willing to move to wherever? I mean, I, I'm getting that constantly. And Becky, I think that the other end of that spectrum is, you know, an increase in number of pets, which, you know, we all saw s- slowly building up during the pandemic. But, you know, right now we're still seeing this entire generation of pet parents that this is their first quote unquote real pet or as an adult. And they're figuring out, you know, how does this whole vet thing work, which puts pressure not only on in-clinic, but also on demand for things like telemedicine and, you know, all types of subscription services. Well, yeah. And I, like I continue to argue, we have a more educated client base. This is now a client base of people who literally feel like their pets are their kids. They have made the decision as couples, you know, and they're like this, they understand the mindset is this is a member of our family. And so now, they're looking for medicine at that level. They're looking for involvement at that level, but they're also expecting care at that level. So emergency care, no matter what, you can go to a hospital, money or no money. You may have to sit there for eight hours, but someone will take care of you. Um, Alternate forms of medicine, second opinions, people are starting to find out that the needs are not necessarily there. And I hear so many people still having a hard time getting a vet appointment and they're incredibly frustrated. So this is part of 2023 for sure. Oh, without a doubt. And I think that as crunch time comes for getting an appointment booked, uh, you know, like you said, Becky, they're going to seek it elsewhere. And they are. I mean, they are seeking all types of alternative healthcare providers. And guys, you know, (laughs) Becky and I have been talking about this for years. uh, And the reality is that it's here. Uh, Another thing too, Becky, I think that we're going to talk about, it goes back to 2016 with us, and that is title protection for veterinary technicians. How do you see that shaping up in 2023? Oh, well, here's the thing. Um, In 2023, there is a new president-elect for the National Association of Veterinary Technicians. (laughs) It just so happens to be your girl. Uh, And so I'm pretty excited to be really super focused on title protection. We have (laughs) created even more of a mess in our profession by adding the title nurse in a way that got adopted too quickly. And so now it's all over the board. And then on top of that, we have the the misuse of the term credential technician. So title protection um, and then figuring out how we're going to get this new quote-unquote mid-level practitioner mess under control. Um, There was recently a, a survey sent out from the AVMA to veterinarians and one to NAFTA members asking about people's feelings. I think it's come across pretty clearly that veterinary technicians feel like there is already a credentialed title mess and adding a mid-level practitioner is going to be a problem. And on top of that, we are not utilizing our technicians in a way that we see we maybe wouldn't need this level if we use them where we should. So um, the title protection is now added another layer since the last time we talked about it because now people are using the term nurse incorrectly. They're using the term technician incorrectly. And now people are starting to think that there's going to be a physician's assistant version, mid-level practitioner. And I, and I just cannot wait until we start seeing those credentials getting used. Wow. And and that's a lot of viewfinders. I mean, there's a lot of important things that Becky just brought up there. But again, I think she's been very clear and now she's in a position to try to help with this title protection because, you know, Becky, again, there's still what, like almost 10 states or something that don't even have any definitions around veterinary technician is, is I think it's like yeah I think it's like six um I know uh I'll, we'll be looking for Liz Houston in the notes she's always really good to come in and say <laughs> Becky didn't have the numbers at the moment and I always appreciate her for that because she is like a numbers girl um but I think it's like 
eight, six or eight. Yeah. I don't know. It's too many. Too it's many. entirely too many. And because of their lack of protection, people are just kind of doing whatever they want. And the problem is, is, is not everybody knows. So we know the education goes hand in hand with the protection. We have to really focus on that education piece. Right. And another topic, too, that kind of goes hand in hand with this is going to be economic pressures from inflation. And I think that in 2023, while nobody nobody knows what's going to happen, but, you know, we are we're seeing somewhat of an easement in inflation. But the reality is it's not where it needs to be. And the Fed continues to take corrective actions and all that stuff, meaning that we're probably going to go into some form of recession in 2023. And Becky, you know, I think that this is going to kind of push and pull in the profession in ways that we're not quite accustomed to. Right now we have overwhelming demand. We have a workforce shortage. We have rising wages and we've been inflating our own fees to the public. And it's suddenly now if the public begins to pull back on their expenditures. And one other thing viewfinders just to be aware of, when you look at what has happened with petflation, so what, what, where are the biggest increases uh, over the past year or so? It's with pet food. Now that means that if a person's spend on dog or cat food is up 20-25%, that's typically going to come from something else. So that means maybe fewer trips to the groomer or to the veterinarian for less heartworm or flea or whatever, Becky. But I think that in 2023, we're definitely going to be talking about economic pressure. Yes. I want to say this though. I am hoping that, you know, what I previously talked about, which is this new mentality of pets as part of the family more than ever, the, the expenditure will change. I really hope it will be reduced Netflix fees or, um, you know, something right. else. And I, and I think it's the opportunity, right? Can we start to leverage like how many subscriptions versus prescriptions? You know right, what I mean? Right. Like how many things do you pay for that you could be buying your pet some protective, some kind of protection, whether it's the vaccines that they need or the preventatives that they need versus, you know, your oh my gosh, you know, don't even look at, I don't, I have a thousand subscriptions. You know, I love my subscription right. boxes and we hello fresh. <laughs> right. So what does that mean? Um, and so I think that the, it, I really, really hope that this new mentality is either going to push people into pet insurance or trying to find another way of making it work instead of cutting back on care. I really hope, and I think it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. And, and again, viewfinders, we, you know, access to care, as Becky is alluding to there, is really important for the profession. And, you know, I am constantly, you know, when I'm out in the, in my community and people are complaining about the prices at the vet, um, which, of course, they've always done, but now they really do, it, it seems. Uh, you know, I think we're going to have to make sure that we are continuing to give affordable options because, you know, Becky, again, I, I was talking to a, a lady, an old client of mine, and, you know, she uh, was, $1,300 for a dental procedure, right? I mean, I, I, there was a lot going on there, full, you know, full mouth radiographs and some, several extractions and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, Becky, again, that was a lot of money. It's a ton of money. I think I really hope that, you know, we're able to, it's, it was interesting because I had surgery not too long ago. And of course, right. um, had the conversation that like we spay animals all the time. I felt really confident about this surgery. Um, and they were like, oh man. And the first thing they brought up was the cost of right, care. And right. I was thinking to myself, these are surgical nurses. I know. Like surely they have to understand the cost of care involved that if these guys, and I guess they never see the bill, right? Unlike veterinary medicine, they're not the ones that are going to hand me my invoice to right. say what it costs for my surgery. Maybe they don't know. But I was thinking like, even on the most inside of our human healthcare system, the first thing they talked about was cost of care and how expensive it was for them to get their pet to the vet. And so I think the more, more and more I'm hearing, and I can't decide, are people having more sticker shock because they're going more or because we're pricing ourselves out of their care? I, 
I don't know. Um, but what I also know is in 2023, what I hope for our clinics is that they really start to get a hold of their finances. It, setting your price has, should not be based on making your receptionist cold call a bunch of clinics in your area to see what they're charging for vaccines and dentals. There has to be some science and math behind it. And um, I think a lot of times we're throwing darts in this industry. So you're right. We have to know what it costs for us to provide care so that we know we can do it affordably, but with a profit. That's right. And it is funny too, viewfinders. I'd say always pay attention to discussions around money and in this case, complaints around cost, because that means we're not creating value for a lot of these pet parents. That means that they're what what they left with the, that vet clinic, the dentistry, was the the sticker shock, as Becky alluded to, as opposed to they really helped my pet. And I think that 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 conversation is shifting subtly. You know, Becky, uh, just uh, interestingly enough, I had a, an emergency room visit recently, and as they were billing us out, uh, Laura was taking care of all the paperwork, and you know, there's a copay involved and all that kind of stuff. And what I thought was very interesting was the fact that uh, they found out that I was a vet. You know, I mean, come on, that's typically what happens, you know, at these yeah. types of situations. And the, the lady at checkout, and again, this is, we haven't seen her. We don't know her. She's, you know, she's just there at the ER, you know, checking people out. And she was like, uh, she, she she made a joke about how much cheaper it was for us. Now, again, she's only looking at the copay for us yeah. to go to the emergency room than it was when she had to take her dog recently. And, you know, of course, I'm in no state to argue. <laughs> I didn't want to discuss it with her. But you know what I'm saying, Becky? It's it's really interesting, that disconnect. Like your nursing staff, you know, they were they are charging tens of thousands of dollars, if not more, for your surgical procedure. And they're focused on hundreds of dollars for their pet spay. And here we are, you know, I don't know, thousands of dollars, you know, for my emergency visit. And they're only seeing the $50 copay. It's, it's a, again, there's a lot of disconnect. And I just, for me, I'm always going to say, are we creating value? So yeah, I was um to just to to share our medical histories here, right? Like so my I had a hysterectomy and it had to get pre-approved by my insurance. And you know, of course they make you jump through a couple hoops. So the initial um request was denied and so they said, you know, the the surgical center comes back and says unfortunately it was denied, which of course to be fair, I had to go get like three other medical tests for them to approve it, right. which to me is wild, right? Like I had to go yeah. spend more money to get them to, to do the actual surgery. But anywho, I digress. If it was not covered by insurance, the uh, price tag was $29,000. Wow. Right. So right. the spay and neuter that your employee, you know, that your clients are complaining about that is probably coming out under $1,200, right? Like in, in most places, it's sure. anywhere from, I've seen 400 to about 12, depending where you go, right? Size of dog, everything. $2,900. Um, I'm sorry, $29,000, right? And you can right. you can price me like a good size Great Dane, right? Like maybe a little on the side of a Mastiff, uh, depending on the holidays, but you can price me out for surgery uh, and dosing right in there somewhere. And they use all the same meds, right? They, get, they give us all of the same pre-medications. They're using basically the same anesthesia. Plus I had to do the pre-work. I had to, I had to scrub my own belly for the first morning. Like right, that's right. They, I didn't stay overnight. I was out in four hours from the time they cut me to the time I, I was wheeled out that front door Four hours, did not spend the night and I didn't get an e-collar. So <laughs> for me, I was thinking to myself, this was a $30,000 procedure, but these people are telling me how much my cost of care was. Right. And for you, the conversation you just had was, did you have insurance? That's the first thing I'm thinking to myself is like, well, I'm just paying the copay. Did you have insurance? Cause your copay would have been right. less, you know? Right. right. So, um, I know we got off on a, on a <laughs> tangent there, but I think it's, 
you know, so to be relative, we are talking about whatever you charge for a spay is versus $29,000 in New Hanover County, North Carolina. <laughs> That's right. Well, <laughs> Outpatient. So again, guys, you know, I think we're going to continue to talk about money. Another thing I think we'll be talking about, Becky, once again, is the continued, you know, increase of corporate owned clinics. I mean, you know, nowadays it's almost more common to see, you know, a, a corporate owned veterinary clinic in small town USA as opposed to an independently owned one. I mean, so I, I think that changes again, the dynamics between employer and employee. I think there's a tremendous opportunity for good here, but also at the same time, Becky, I mean, you know, they can squeeze a larger number of people if they choose. Yeah, there's just an article that I really didn't take a deep dive into that I passed over this morning talking about why veterinarians in Colorado are worried about it. I don't know if you took a look at that specifically, but um, it's starting to make the news. It's starting to be conversations that are getting out. And I think this could be detrimental or positive, one of the two. The publicity behind the corporatization is a little bit dangerous because I think people are starting to say, well, like I'm going to call corporate, you know, they start to see it as like a high level, like you're, you know, you're a belk and you can yell at the girl behind the counter and and make her think you're going to call the CEO, like they're going to care. And and that affects them. And I think that's kind of trickling over. But I also think this is a scary time for a lot of veterinarians who want out. There's no one to sell to. I think a lot of places are feeling backed in a corner. There's nobody who wants to buy the practices and they want out. Right. And and you can't compete. I mean, if a corporate's going to offer you double what your associate would be able to pay, you know, you can't blame them for sure. But again, you know, I'm I'm with you, Becky, the publicity surrounding these issues. uh, and, And many of these stories now are starting to veer over into, do they have a monopoly in certain states or air, geographic regions? And I think that that's going to become under more scrutiny, you know, certainly in the, in the next couple of years. Oh, 100%. Everything's kind of consolidating down. One thing I want to bring up that um, I hope for the next year that you can kind of elaborate on is the ventilation shutdown movement. Um, I hope in 2023, we see and hear a lot more about that. Yeah, it's it's been frustrating. I mean, you guys know we've we've constantly petitioned the AVMA to reclassify it again, not to stop it or anything, just to change the classification from a, a method that's accepted to one that's only recommended in the most dire situation. And so, you know, Becky, there's so many other there's so many welfare issues out there that I think many of us in the veterinary profession just aren't aware of, and that's because we just got too much going on in our own lives. But you know, these are things that a lot of us are trying to pay attention to and trying to, you know, get some traction on. You know, AVMA is difficult ship to turn, uh, even a small number of degrees, but, uh, you know, we continue to work on that. But, you know, again, if you're out there and some of these animal welfare issues bother you at a professional level, I mean, that's what NAVTA and AVMA really are designed to do. They're to represent our fears. They're, They're a group that we should go to collectively and say, hey, this is an issue. Should it be an issue for all of us? And, you know, again, some of these things are. And so, I think, yeah, Becky, hopefully 2023, we'll see continued more. What's actually happening with a lot of the animal welfare issues, once again, Becky, is the vets haven't stayed, as you'd like to say, in front of it. And we've now lost, we've ceded that, those those fights to other groups. And I think that's a shame because I think that there's nobody better to speak for welfare issues than a veterinarian or a veterinary technician. And I, I, that's what I really wish for is that vets would be more involved. Yeah, I mean, I think if I was sitting on the receiving end of that and there was no veterinarians in the room arguing it, I would be like, well, aren't they the ones who care? And we have the USDA and the USDA veterinarians are in those buildings. And if they're not here in front of me saying that this is horrific and we have to stop, then those are the people I trust. And, you know, 
Um, you know, it's like they say, you, you don't go to your local bakery for the best hamburger in town, right? Right, right? So the idea that you don't have the people who are representing the voices in there representing the voices. I do just want to caveat what you said about AVMA and NAFTA is they are the voices for the members. Like it or not, they are the voices for the members. So right. I, I we just talked about this, but if you have an opinion, if you want to be heard, you have to be a member and, and reach out to those organizations. Yeah, great, great point. Uh, one other thing too, Becky, you know, we did see that a Frenchie won the National Dog Show recently. We talked about that. We did dedicated an entire episode to that issue. But do you think we'll be talking about brachycephalic breed problems in 2023? I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know if we're, I don't, I think we're too, I think we'll be talking about it in 2028, (laughs) you know, when we finally catch up with that. And that's the unfortunate part, right? I, um, I put out a call the other day for something for my upcoming students and for the social media for Kernick Academy. What's it like to be a veterinary technician day in in the life? And I got, um, back some images of puppy tail dockings and they had kind of designed the tails in like a little wreath. And I thought about the off-color humor that we have in veterinary medicine, but that the idea of how unfazed we are by these these things that are still banned in other countries. Right, right. Um, so much so that we use our dark sense of humor to cope with them at this point still. And so I personally, um, I don't think we're talking about it yet. And I think we'll have another six years of podcasting before we do. Right. And, and just to follow up on a story, Becky, you know, Norway, I think it was the beginning of 2022, passed a national law, federal legislation, if you will, that banned the breeds of certain things, like including bulldogs and Cavalier King Charles. And recently, of course, they've, they've been lawsuits and so forth. And apparently what just happened within the past couple of weeks is they actually said, okay, the court said that the law was unconstitutional and they said you can breed the bulldogs, but you can't breed the Cavalier King Charles. So obviously there's now a further round of, of lawsuits going on. But but like Becky said, you know, this the U.S. does seem to be quite behind at least our European counterparts on a lot of these welfare issues, whether it's ventilation shutdown, which of course is banned in almost all parts of the world, except for here in China and maybe Brazil. But, um, you know, so what we, this is just one of those things that I think is ongoing. It's an evolution and it just starts, you know, like every great movement, it starts with a few little, little actions that hopefully one day lead to something bigger. So again, Frenchies, I think, you know, I'd love to see if you, if I'd love to Guys, to understand if you think we're going to see a, a deluge of, of Frenchies, I think that's true. I, you know, I want one so bad. I can't I commit to this because there could be, I, I mean, a lot of them need rescued. I'm just saying. Right. They, they do. They're, they're just <laughs> I'm not so breeding them, but if I end I up with one that I don't pay for other than a rescue fee, I just don't want to be judged. I'm just put, not, at least not in 2023. Okay. And, and the finally, I guess today, as we sort of wrap up this discussion, uh, I think that, you know, when we go back and I was looking through some of the topics, if we look back around 2017 and 2018, we were talking about uh, the rise of, of social media vet influencers and some of the problems that we were beginning to see. So back in 17 and 18, basically, you know, there was some misinformation that was going on. And, and you know, we were like calling on our colleagues, hey, if you're going to use social media, please use it responsibly and make sure that the messages you say are, are sound. Um, Becky, I think, I mean, I, I, I'm continuing to see problems with social media and vets. I mean, you know, I think this is, I think it's only going to going to worsen in 2023. I hate to say that. I feel like we said hey guys, be careful. And they were like, hold my beer. <laughs> um, exactly. I don't know what they heard <laughs> because there is so much client shaming. There is so oh, much gosh. wrong information. There is so much embarrassing 
Like I'm dancing and putting some kind of medical advice over that somebody might read that I don't, I don't know what we're, I don't know what we're doing now. Like I've got, you've got the guys out there who I will, I'll call out by name, Matt McGlasson, who I think is really fun. And he's always like showing the kittens and he's always like making veterinarians, like people who love animals. You know what right, I mean? Like right. I, Matt has never done anything that I thought was controversial other than maybe some of the music that he used, but I personally <laughs> get cracked up that he's going to go ahead and put, you know, some kittens over WAP. Like, I don't know. He's going to do it. I love it. But a lot of those guys out there are using it as an opportunity to client shame. And, and, and what we've seen is this trend of human medicine, you know, holding people accountable for making clients feel bad, even if they're not calling any specific client out, but various behaviors that happen most specifically that happen that you cannot help because you are in an emergency situation or you're in pain or whatever, and they're making fun of it. Right. This trend that we're seeing or, um, you know, not being safe in our practices or not performing best practices is, uh, is disgusting. It's everywhere. It's shameful. And then when I see my own professionals like liking it and sharing it and my colleagues, I'm like, what, what are you doing? So whatever we said, they didn't hear it. Right. Yeah. And I do worry about this, this client shaming. I mean, you have so much so that Becky and I did a series of lectures, you know, after that, that series of podcasts, because, you know, it, it is something that we find very concerning. And I think it does a lot of harm to the profession. And I think that when you're already dealing in a sort of a tense environment, like people are complaining about the wait times to get an appointment, and then it costs so much to go to the vet. And then if you throw on top of that, you know, somebody doing TikToks of this is, these are the client things that give me the icks. I mean, you can imagine we're just creating an adversarial relationship with the public. And I, I just, I think it's wrong. And, you know, and, and viewfinders, just so you're aware, I mean, this, this is a, uh, has serious ramifications for nurses. OBGYN nurses were fired from Emory University Hospital uh, in Georgia recently because they had done a TikTok, no names, no, and this was, this was their defense. They're like, these are the, th- the client or the patient things that give us the icks, right, Becky? And they fired them. They said, this is unprofessional and unbecoming, puts uh, the, the university hospital in a poor light, and they fired them. Because, because you're talking about women who are bringing literal humans yeah. into the world. Like you don't get any icks. Right. Like if you're uncomfortable with anything about that, you need to go find somewhere else to be. And the idea that I would have to be, uh, again, we digress. That hysterectomy is a very uh, <laughs> fictional situation, but the idea that I would be laying on a birthing table, thinking about a TikTok that I saw of a behavior. I am the first one that will call myself out and say, I am the clientisty client. I have poked my head out of the room to be like, was that my dog that just cried? Um, can I go in the back with you? Uh, I mean, like, and I'm trying to pull privilege as an RVT, but the fact of the matter is I am 100% a terrible client. So the idea that we'd be making fun of our clients, the people who pay our paychecks, like right. it's disgusting. And the, it breaks the safety barrier. It makes you an unsafe place to be emotionally vulnerable. And I hate it. So um, I think they probably deserve to lose their job. I think there are consequences that need to be had. And I think I think in 2023, we are going to see more and more wrangling, especially again, tying back into corporate, where these things are going to start to get back and reported and people are going to start taking action. And hopefully feeling like a nobody who's just throwing something up for your colleagues you'll start to become aware that it's like we forgot that the internet is the internet and nothing goes away. You know, it's like all of the consequences of the early 2000s were just kind of like out the window. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. It is permanent. And I think, you know, obviously there's so many topics that, that we're going to be talking about, but one unfortunate permanent feature that we'll be talking about in 2023 and beyond, Becky, will be continued mental health issues. I mean, you know, burnout, depression, I mean, you name it, uh, this, these they're not going away. And, um, you know, I think, I think we've got to do a lot more. I know that at NAVTA, that's one of the, also your call to action. You know, you want to address this head on. So I, I think, you know, I think we're going to have to keep talking about it, Becky. Well, I think saying mental health is not going to go away is sort of saying like, you know, physical health is not going to go away. Yeah, like, of right. course it's not. We have to look at our brain as another part of our body that we have to take care of. And I think that is the mentality that has to come in. Like, right. you know, Hey, I really want you to go get your, you know, heart and lungs listened to in your annual exam and let's go get some blood work and get a baseline and on top of that let's get a mental baseline let's just do a mental check-in and see how we're doing and just like when my numbers are not where they need to be my doctor makes me come back sooner (laughs) so when our mental baseline is not where it needs to be we got to go get it checked out sooner and so I, I want us all to be thinking about that but with that comes access to care And the biggest problem we have, and again, it may tie back to corporate, is access to care. Our technicians are hopefully getting insurance. And there are better accessibility than ever, but some of it is junk. And it's junk. It's lipstick on a pig, right? And it's like you can... I, I, I mean, I've used these services and I could tell that my provider was driving home from work or something like that. So make sure you're getting quality mental health care. And to do that... You have to be somewhere that they provide you mental health and and benefits. And 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 that is one of the most important things I want you to do for yourself in 2023. Yeah, I love that. Well, Viewfinders, what topics do you think we'll be talking about? I mean, if there's a topic that you want us to talk about, definitely let us know. Becky, how can they tell us what they think they'll, we'll be talking about in 2023? Well, one consistent thing we've talked about over the last couple of years is where you can find us. And that's over on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder, on Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder. We're bleeping out the tweets for now. So you're going to have to send us straight to an email at veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com. That's right, guys. We hope that your holiday season wraps up nicely with a wonderful Happy New Year celebration. And guys, we just can't thank you enough once again for spending some time with us. And 2022 has been a great year. And we honestly are only looking forward to 2023. So guys, we will talk to you next week and beyond. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Hey, we did it. We did it.